0: Welcome to another episode of Leaning Toward Wisdom, the podcast. LeaningTowardWisdom.com is the website. I want more by having less. It's a special episode of Leaning Toward Wisdom Modern Tales of an Ancient Pursuit. Greetings and welcome inside the Yellow Studio. My name is Randy Cantrell. I'm your host here. Except for copyright infringement, I would cue the song by Kaleo. I Want More. So before, well, before you go any further, go to the website, leaningtowardwisdom.com. Find this episode, I Want More by Having Less. And I'm embedding the YouTube video of their song, I Want More. And if you don't know... Kaleo uh, is, well, I have spent hours and hours with these gents. I have played them in my headphones whilst walking about in the middle of the night or in the early morning hours. They are terrific. In fact, I like them so much that I bought their latest record, Surface Sounds, twice. And I did it intentionally, I might add. <laughs> well, I pre-ordered it on Apple iTunes. It's called Apple Music now, isn't it? And I was able to download a couple of songs that were released early. And this was, man, this was early last year. And the release date, probably because of COVID, I don't know, but the release date on the record, it just kept moving and it kept moving and it kept moving and it changed Man, it changed a handful of times that I'm aware of. But then finally the album was released just within the last couple of months. But Apple Music did not let me download the other songs on the record. So I'm Googling, I'm trying to troubleshoot Apple iTunes, Apple Music. And I did, I don't know, I did at least three different suggested things to fix the problem nothing worked. And finally I just gave up. And so I hit the buy button again because it didn't even show the songs that I had already downloaded. It didn't even show those as being purchased. And then two weeks after I make this second purchase intentionally, I get an email from Apple. I did a screenshot to it in the show notes for the episode today, but it's really brief. It just says, Dear Randy, thank you for pre-ordering the album Surface Sounds. Our records indicate an error which has prevented you... An Correction. Our records indicate an error which has prevented your pre-order from fulfilling. If you wish to complete your album purchase, you may do so here and then... There's a hyperlink to surface sounds regards iTunes store support. So I bought the album twice, but I only got it once because, well, by the time I got this email, I didn't click on it. Cause well, I've already, I've already paid for it. Mm-hmm. I don't care. Maybe it'll put put a few extra pennies into the pocket of the band. Did I tell you that I've been a devoted Apple user since the very first Mac in 1984? Well, it's true. And yet, even I lack the skills to know how to contact a human being at Apple about the aforementioned customer challenge. But hey, this is life in 2021, right? Khalil, by the way, they are—they are the well, they're Iceland's own do you know another band from Iceland? Yeah, me neither, but I like them. I like them a lot. I'm digressing from the main point of today's show, which is a special episode. Yes, that does mean two special episodes in a row. It's special. It's special for two reasons. Number one, it was not planned. Instead, it's kind of spontaneous, but I rather enjoy Well, I enjoy a good bout of spontaneity at times. It's also a special episode in that it's not numbered. I could have, I could have given it a number, but you know, numbers just seem so impersonal. Don't they? Should I even do episodes? I mean, just titles. The good thing about an episode, because somebody like me who does produce show notes, actual kind of somewhat comprehensive, more, more often than not a blog post to associate with the website and with the podcast sidebar, your honor. Do you know that I've got people who read the blog post, but they don't listen to the podcast? I do. It's, it's kind of depressing actually, but I digress. I don't know. I don't know if I should have episode numbers or not. I only did it not because it was kind of considered the thing to do, but I did it because as a podcaster and as a podcast listener, I rather enjoyed it when people did make reference to a number because if I was in the gym or in the car, if I was out portable and there was a a number – then I could go to their website and I could just search for that number. And then I could find the blog post that might have links that I might be interested in or other details that, you know, I can't make a note of when I'm driving or I'm walking or whatever. So as a listener, I rather enjoyed it, but I'm wondering, I don't know if, if things changed and what's the point now. I don't know. Let me talk to you about a place where less is more. Now, there are gobs of books about less being more. Go to Amazon and just just type in the phrase less being more or something to that effect, and I promise you, you will get book after book after book after book. Some of these are business-related. Others, they're about health and fitness. Some are about stuff, and they're about lifestyle. Well, kind of like the one that was published in 2016, by noted minimalist Joshua Becker. And I'm going to put a link to this book. In fact, I'm going to I'm going to do better than that. I'm going to post a picture of the cover of this book cuz I kind of like it. It's it's a it's a rather simple but kind of beautiful cover. Joshua Becker wrote a book called The More of Less, subtitled Finding the Life You Want Under Everything You Own in 2016. But another famous minimalist that I have referred to before, Leo Babauta, he wrote a book called The Power of Less, The Fine Art of Limiting Yourself to the Essential in Business and in Life. He wrote that book in 2009. And I don't know, that that probably was my first foray into as a book anyway, into kind of the idea meaning it was really probably my first deep dive into learning more about minimalism. Now I had been following Leo Babauta and his blog Zen Habits. I'd been following that for a good long while. Um, But I was, I was beginning to learn more about it and learning more about why some people were becoming converts of minimalism as a way of life. Now I was not looking to become a full convert, But there were aspects of it that I really did like. Back in 2006, I had already been influenced a bit by a gentleman named John Mada. He was the author of a book published that year in 2006, The Law of Simplicity. Simplicity, design, technology, business, life. Well, Mr. Mada, he is a big-shot, smarty-pants, big-brain guy, an MIT-educated tech brainiac. My lifelong devotion to my own lack of brain power it had forced me to simplify things. That had just been part of my life. You could chalk it up to laziness. You could chalk it up to stupidity. But I had a lifelong history, even by the time I got to this book in 2006, I had a lifelong history by then of searching for simplicity when I bought this book. In fact, I still have a passion for simplicity. In fact, well, I'll go you one better. It's a relentless pursuit of simplicity, a relentless pursuit of straightforward and simple, mostly because I'm just not smart enough to approach it any differently. I had to learn the hard way that simplifying things is hard, hard work. Maybe it was born out of laziness, but that, didn't quite pay off like I expected. It didn't matter. I still found the pursuit very worthwhile so much so that I continue that habit today, every single day, every single day. I am in the habit of trying to simplify things mostly for my own benefit. Yeah. Okay. Sometimes for the benefit of clients, but yeah, mostly I'm selfish about it. Beginning with your physical surroundings. It is Jordan Peterson who has kind of be begun to convert at least a new generation of, of people to understand the value of taking a look around your room and what can you do to improve it. And for Mr. Peterson and his teaching in his instruction, his education, his training, it's about what is right in front of you that you can control but you may not be controlling it. Why don't we start there? So before we're going to go solve all the world's problems, as you sit right now, wherever you are listening to me, and all the better if you're sitting in a room listening to me, take a look around the room. Is this room exactly the way that you want it? Could it be cleaner? Could it be better organized? Could it be decorated in a way that is more suitable for you? Then what are you waiting on? Beginning with your physical surroundings, I really kind of wish I had, but I didn't. My quest for more by leaning toward less, it first erupted in my career in business pursuits. And business is challenging enough, right? I mean, there's no need to complicate it more. So I figured. And so I still figure And experience has confirmed my youthful yearnings for simplicity. I still wish I kind of had begun with my physical surroundings. Uh, Sometimes I did, sometimes I didn't. But one of the first things that I learned as a young business leader was the power of beginning with your physical surroundings. It was intuitive for me. And it was probably intuitive for me because as a kid, as a child, I was the little boy that was not able to sleep in a cluttered room. And I'm talking about preschool days, toys, all that stuff, that stuff had to be picked up and put away. And if it wasn't, I couldn't go to bed. I couldn't sleep, but I wasn't, I wasn't this kid who was plagued with, you know, OCD type behavior. I just didn't like clutter. And I certainly didn't want to go to sleep. I didn't want to turn the lights off and have stuff all over my room. Now, to be fair, my mother probably wouldn't have tolerated it, but it didn't matter. It was natural wiring for me. Yes, my mom did absolutely exercise military-like discipline for cleanliness and order, but I was oriented... I was oriented that way myself to keep my space orderly because of how I wanted things, not because of how she wanted things. Years later in my 20s, during my very first business leadership role, where I was bequeathed with the number one responsibilities, I began with physical order. It was one of the very first things I remember doing. And it would be my habit at every leadership stop I would make. And I called it exactly what it is, house cleaning. Now, the place was a business. It wasn't a house, but it was still called house cleaning, and everybody understood it. And it was always a positively powerful thing. People were energized, and people, well, it always elevated people's pride, which was kind of fascinating. When the clutter and the filth is fixed, and people did the cleaning and the fixing, and they step back. There's just, there's such a magnificent sense of accomplishment. And it was further proof for me that people benefit greatly for simplicity and less. Less is more. And I wanted more. I still want more of less. Less. But the physical surroundings, they continue to be a challenge because, well, age does that, I think. The longer you live, the more moss you gather. That whole Rolling Stone metaphor is not exactly accurate. Go into any old person's home, and you're likely going to see way more clutter than people who are younger. You may not, but, yeah, you likely are. Right? Stuff piled up on more stuff. And I'm not talking about hoarding. I'm talking about the accumulation of stuff piled on year after year. You know, I chuckle whenever I look at real estate photos. Do you do this? I'll go to realtor.com or I'll go to Zillow and just for curiosity, you know, you just take a look and you can take a look at these photographs that homeowners take, not professional mind you, but shots that they'll take well i guess some could be professional but i mean man it sure makes you question the professional photographer that would do this but people who take a shot of their den and their bedroom and stuff and you can always tell okay well this is clearly the home of an older person right i mean they've just there are knickknacks everywhere and it's really it's particularly funny to me well sometimes it's sad but it's mostly funny to me um, I, we took a trip and we, we were staying at an Airbnb and as we come out of this neighborhood where we were staying a corner house that you, you, you just had to pass every time you left the the neighborhood, <laughs> it, this front yard was decorated with clutter. Now I'm not talking about trash. I'm not talking about junk. Well, okay. Not junk per se, I'm talking about, you know, these folks that have pink flamingos and bird feeders and bird bass and hanging baskets and windmill things and yard gnomes and, you know, I, it just, it, it, it reminded me that, I mean, I don't know what this, let's assume that a husband and wife live there. Cause that's probably, that would be my guess. And I could just see them out there, you know, it's kind of like a Ballard street cartoon. I could just see them out there saying, hey, this would look good here, wouldn't it? And the other one, sure, yeah. You know, I mean, why not? I mean, what's one more pink flamingo when you've already got a whole flock of them? You know, my fascination is with the mind that thinks it is becoming and a mind that contributes to making their place a show place. (laughs) I mean, well, they're show places. All right. Hey, let me go. Let me show you a place. I'll show you a place. Let me take you down here to this corner house and look at this yard. You know, it's forget Christmas decorations. I mean, it's, we've got this party happening year round, you know, places like this. Do you have a place like this? If you have a place like that, please, please, please email me a photograph. Uh, I'd like to see it. I promise I won't publicly make fun of you privately i may thankfully my front yard is not cluttered with ornaments and bird feeders and gnomes uh and the such like but the mere the the volume of stuff the sheer volume of stuff that i have is inside the house is were well, ridiculous I need to schedule. I need to perform what I did for years and years professionally as a leader. I need to perform a massive house cleaning because I want more. In fact, I want more so I need to ditch some things. I need to ditch a lot of things because I want more. I, I absolutely want more, and I want more by having less. I don't want more by getting more, but you know, the physical surroundings, they just continue to be a challenge, but you know, age does that. It just does that. And it makes sense to a degree because you get older and you just, you accumulate and maybe when you were younger, you purged, but if you didn't purge, then it catches up with you. There's, I think the rub. I don't think that we are in this habit of we buy things and we replace things. And so we ditch things, we pass things on, we sell things, we, we trash things. No, I, I think just over decades, the accumulation, you suddenly realize we we're running out of space here. Now we're not running out of space. You're listening to a, person who I do not own a storage facility. Well, okay. Outside of my garage <laughs> and closets and space inside the house, but I'm not paying a monthly fee for one of those self-storage places. I mean, we're, ta- what are we talking? we we've got to be talking a multi-billion dollar. I didn't look it up, but we've got to be talking about a multi-billion dollar business. Don't we? I mean, people that are renting everything from a, a 10 by 10 to much bigger storage units and paying monthly fees for a place that they may not even go visit quarterly. It's it's a magnificent phenomenon. It's also a magnificent business, I might add. I know some people in it. Well, I used to. But I need to schedule, I need to perform a house cleaning because I do want more. I still continue to be fixated with my ideal outcome and I would encourage you to be fixated with yours and what my ideal outcome is, is it could be way different than yours. The challenge with figuring this out, your ideal outcome is because it's such a moving target because it takes time, right? I mean, we have to sit with it. We have to sit with what we think is our ideal outcome for a period of time it's a little bit like stirring up the water when you walk through a creek bed. And only by standing still can you really let things settle so the water can become clear again. But we all know standing still, well, that ain't a good strategy. You can't you can't make progress. You can't make growth. You can't make improvement happen if you're just standing still. But there are some times where you need to stand still, where you just need to kind of hit pause and you just need to be still. Let's just be still and let's let let things settle so that we can see things clearly. And some of this figuring out your ideal outcome requires that. Because today you may be thinking, well, I know what the ideal outcome would be. But by this time tomorrow, you can think, well, no, that that wouldn't be a good idea. There's another element to figuring out the ideal outcome, and that is holding a thought for a while to make sure it is – the out deal, the ideal outcome, the outcome you want, maybe you're naturally impulsive. Are you? Are you aware of it? It's, it's great if you're aware of it. It's horribly destructive if you're not. I'm not naturally impulsive. But if I were, it would be offset by the urge that I have, the natural urge that I have to ponder and to kind of live with an outcome in my head. And since I was a little boy, I've considered consequences. And I've worked to weigh the pluses and the minuses. Now, that doesn't mean I always get it right. It doesn't mean that I always behave. It doesn't mean that I always do what I should do. But I can probably assure you that more often than not, I know what I should do. Not Selfishness can get in my way just like it does yours. And so we need to ponder things. We need to weigh the pluses and the minuses of a thing. Now I don't get, do you get a spreadsheet out or do you get a piece of paper out and draw that line down the middle of the page? And on one side you write the pluses and the other you write, do you do, do you ever do that? I don't do that. I don't do that, but I'm doing that in my head. I do it mentally. And the more you kind of sit with it, hopefully the more clear it can become. So what is the ideal outcome? Well, for me, it really isn't a question to be answered quickly. This is where patience is a virtue. Sometimes I need to do more research. Uh, Almost always I need to think it through by putting myself in the situation where I can imagine that the outcome that I think is ideal, where that outcome is realized. And I'm really good at this. I I really enjoy engaging my imagination. I really enjoy the visualization. And even though it's imaginary, it still can seem and feel very real. In fact, research has proven that in our brains and in our bodies, there's there's not so much a difference between real and imagined. The sensations and the feelings that you get when you imagine something tend to be almost identical to those when it's real. That's kind of fascinating to me. So if I imagine what the ideal outcome is, then I get this feeling. I get, this, I get the same feeling, if we can believe neuroscience, and I do, I can get the same feeling as though that ideal outcome has been realized. And wrestling down the feeling, wrestling down the psychology of the ideal, that's really, really valuable, at least for me. You know, the circle of trust, you remember the one that Robert De Niro's character had in Meet the Parents? Well, it's a real thing, kind of, sort of. We've all got them. We've all got the circle of trust. I I created a, a graphic to demonstrate mine. It's stupid, simple. In the middle is me and my wife. That's right. Just me and my wife. Now I'm excluding faith stuff here, right? I'm dealing in the mortal realm of humanity here. I'm not dealing with God. God is certainly in there as well, but humanly, human wise, me and my wife, me and my wife, or we are a circle of trust. And that's where That's where it is for me. I guess some people could put themselves in the center. I can't because, well, that would presuppose that I could always trust myself. But if you take me coupled with my wife, I trust that. Yeah, I trust that. And I trust us together. Well, I trust us together more than I trust myself by myself. Right outside that, I make 10. Family and do I trust them all the same? Well, no, because some of them are little kids. <laughs> I mean, they can be trusted as far as a little kid goes, but come on, they're kids. But it's family. And then my outer ring, friends and clients. Friends and clients. And I could say more, but, yeah, okay, we'll just leave it at that. My circle is shrinking. You should know that. It's not due to paranoia. Age and experience, I think, tend to show all of us how difficult it is to truly lean on people. I mean, think back to when you were a kid. When we're kids, we trust almost everybody. I mean, when we're little kids. And then eventually we learn, this is a bad idea. (laughs) And as we grow, we learn to discriminate in choosing our friends. And sometimes we find, you know, we've got, We've got some friends or acquaintances that we made that we've, we now learned they don't mean well and other people over time just prove themselves untrustworthy. And so what we do as we grow older, we, we learn to thin the herd. Think about the broad population of friends that you had when you were in, I don't know, when you started school, think about the broad population of friends you had when you were a little kid and we love it, and we love all of these these images and these pictures and these videos of kids that are just living in this judgment-free zone. And we think, oh, that's, how, that's so sweet, and that's how all of life should be. Well, it may be how all of life should be, but it's not how all of life can operate because there are mean and bad people in the world. There just are. I don't mean, I don't happen to believe that, Every neighborhood has a van prowling the streets looking to abduct our children. I know there are parents who think that, but I've read the data and the data just doesn't bear it out. It's largely this act of terror because of the times when it does happen, it terrifies those of us who have little kids in our lives and we fear for them and our paranoia can sometimes be inserted on them. But that's a conversation for another day. But what we learn is, is these two little kids who embrace each other and maybe they've just met and we think, well, as adults, we ought to be able to do that. Well, I don't disagree. Maybe we should be able to do that. But the fact is we can't because you could go up and embrace somebody only to find that they've inserted a knife between your ribs. <laughs> okay. The little kids don't have to worry about that. But as adults, we do. And what we find is, as we live our lives, we find that, well, this population of people that we engage with and that we call friends, it's been narrowed down. So it's considerably more narrow by the time we emerge from college than it was when we first entered first grade. And there's practical reasons for it as well. I mean, there's things like proximity. There's things like we just see people less frequently. And so sometimes we just grow apart because, well, we made choices in our life and they took us one direction and they made choices in their life and that took them a different direction and the directions just weren't close anymore. It happens. And it's not always because of betrayal. It's not always because of something sinister. It's just how life happens. Okay, and then there are the betrayals and we've all experienced it. We have all been betrayed and likely a real, real safe bet. We have all been guilty of betrayal. Intentional, maybe intentional, maybe selfish, maybe completely innocent and unintended. Every human being, though, knows the feeling. We know the feeling of being betrayed, and I suspect we know the feeling of being the betrayer. Now, good friends, good friends work through it, and we come out the other side. But sometimes, sometimes, whether it's intended or not, it ends the relationship and things are never the same. And so it goes by the time I reached the age of about 50, 51, 52, I made a conscious decision to populate my circles of trust with fewer people. Now, before you go judging me and think, well, man, that's harsh. Here's what it meant for me. For me, it meant I realized, you know what? I need to devote more time to fewer people. And it wasn't me making a judgment about others. It was me making a judgment about myself. I wanted more. And I figured that the path forward for me was by having less. Fewer people meant I could be more devoted. I wasn't being driven. And you're just going to have to trust me on this. I was not driven then and nor am I driven now by what I would get out of it or how I might gain. No, I was focused on viewing myself as a resource. Well, let's be precise, a finite resource that could be of value to others. And because I'm just not that talented and I'm certainly not that good, I knew I knew with whatever time I have left, I really better thin the herd here so that i can serve the people who matter the most which is easy for me to define the people who matter the most are the people who for whatever reason find value in my presence people with whom i can make some meaningful difference and i'm smart enough to know that that, that ain't everybody and that's a really small number it may be a, it may be an increasingly decreasing number I don't know, but wanting more by having less, it really comes to life for me more and more and more almost daily. And within the past decade, I have learned so much about myself and about others and about life and about death and also about all of that stuff in between to know that when it comes to virtually every aspect of life, I've just come to believe that my wanting more is going to be mostly achieved by finding ways to have less. And there it is, a special episode. The website is leaning toward wisdom.com. Modern Tales of an Ancient Pursuit is the tagline of the podcast. I've really only got one call to action. Well, no, let, let, let me give you two calls to action. I know you're not supposed to do that, but I'm going to. Because I don't play by the rules anyway. I would encourage you to subscribe to the podcast. You say, oh, but I already subscribed. Then thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Share the podcast with a friend. The bigger request, the bigger call to action is figure out what you want more of. And don't make it selfish. I tell clients every week, well, probably every day. Yeah, every day I tell somebody. The progression is really simple. It starts with humility, which fuels curiosity, asking questions, wanting to know more, which leads to knowledge, know-how, which leads to understanding, which culminates at the pinnacle of compassion. And my definition of compassion is super broad in general. Compassion is a focus on others. And when I use the personal pronoun, I want more by having less, it's only profitable if I can make sure that there is a focus on others and what I'm able to do to serve others. And naturally, yeah, kind of got to serve myself along the way so that I can be a better resource, a more valuable resource. LeaningTowardWisdom.com is the website. My name is Randy Kentrell, coming to you from Dallas, Fort Worth, Texas. Greetings and welcome inside the yellow studio.